Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Jean Bereson. I'm Khadija Booth-Watkins. Today, we're excited to talk about something we could all benefit from right now, and that is meditation. We've all experienced past traumas and conflicts in our lives, and this year especially has brought on so many new challenges and anxieties for families and young people. But meditation is a practice that can help us, and with practice, it can help us in so many ways. It can produce calmness, clarity, grounding. It can free up our mind of some distorted thinking and negative emotions. We'll hear a lot more about this uh, as I introduce our guest speaker today, and that is Darshan Mehta. So to help us learn about meditation, I'd like to welcome Darshan, um, who's medical director of the Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine here at Massachusetts General Hospital. He's also director of education for the Osher Center for the Integrative Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital at Harvard Medical School. And he's director of the Office for Well-Being here at Mass General. Um, I'd, like, I'd also like to add uh, an initiative that Darshan launched during this pandemic to help our incredibly dedicated clinicians and staff at Mass General help them keep going. And he's leading a weekly Monday morning meditation for our community. And if we're lucky and we have time, we can actually have a five-minute meditation during this podcast. So as we always begin, how was this week for you all? Khadija, how was this? How was it for you? Well, my computer broke. So <laughs> it's been, I've been on the struggle bus all week uh, using my son's computer, and he makes his backgrounds fancy. So I'm logging onto meetings, the backgrounds all shining and glowing. So it's been a little, it's been a little bit of a rough start, but I'm hoping that it'll be waiting for me at the end of this day. How about you? What's, what was your week like? Uh, well, um, it's been, uh, it's been a little difficult. My granddaughter, uh, is actually an inpatient at pediatrics. She had a, um, uh, uh, an injury to her nose that needed surgical correction, and she's doing fine. Uh, actually, the highlight of my week, you know, in honor of, um, in honor, in remembrance of Bloody Sunday, I watched I Am Not Your Negro, which I had never seen before. And if you haven't seen it, I would so, it, it's just so powerful um, uh, that, that's been the highlight of my week. It really, it really is a very special film. Uh, Darshan, how about you? Um, well, first, thank you, Jean and Khadija for having me here today. Um, and so my highlight of the week is truly seeing this blue sky and sunshine we have in Boston. It's been a couple of gorgeous days and uh, even though it's, it's like that nice, crisp, cool weather, but, uh, but, uh, beautiful sunshine. I have to say, I missed it. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's just great to, great to have that. We'll take it because I missed the sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, uh, let's get started. So most people probably have an idea about meditation, uh, we see a lot of different people in the media and magazines talking about it in, in, in many different many venues over the past number of years. But as a beginning, um, 
could you tell us in your own words, what, what is meditation? Maybe just a general overview to start out with. How would you define it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a tough, it's an important question. And I think there's no sort of uh, necessarily straightforward answer, but and, and part of it is dependent on which angle you're talking about it from. So for, for many people, um, just for, for sort of the average uh, individual meditation is often pictured as sort of this, uh, you're seated in some pose or postures, eyes closed, you're, you know, and, um, and, and some sort of um, uh, focus or some sort of uh, concentration on something. Uh, and that's, and that's not, that's, that is that, but it's, it turns out it's more than just that. And one of the things that my mentor, uh, uh, Dr. Herbert Benson, um, he in the late 60s, early 70s, he, one of the things that he uncovered uh, somewhat uh, serendipitously, he, he, was a, he, he is a retired cardiologist now, but uh, he was studying high blood pressure. And at that time, one of the things that he found was that when uh, people learn a mind-body practice from, and, and their mind-body practice, it turned out in multiple traditions across the world, not just, it's not just, we often sort of sometimes pigeonhole it to one place in the world or not, but it turns out all of the world's cultures and traditions have this, have their own version of mind-body practices or their own sort of meditative practices that they're a, actually able to reduce their blood pressure by about at that time, he was able to find almost equivalent to medication, which was quite spectacular. I mean, no one had ever actually uncovered that. So that was actually the genesis of this. And he coined that term at the time, the relaxation response. And it was really a description of the changes that can happen, uh, whether you decrease your heart rate, you can decrease your breathing rate, decreasing your blood pressure, um, when you engage in these responses, uh, these practices. So, uh, um, so I think of meditation as, as, as those practices that can really shift our, um, those sort of internal metrics or that internal, those internal biological physiology uh, in, in ways that help us balance against the negative effects of stress that we see every day. You know, I remember those days. Uh, the, the Beatles, the Beatles were playing mm -hmm. with the Maharishi Yogi, <laughs> who claimed yeah. the transcendental meditation. You oh. could drop your blood pressure. You could, and 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 the medical community said, "Wait a second, this is mm -hmm. called the autonomic nervous system. That means it's automatic. That means it's yeah. not within our control. Are you out of your mind?" Mm -hmm. And um, to Herb's credit, he basically said, "Well, maybe there is something to this." Yeah. <laughs> Although he paid a he paid an he paid a little bit of price for it at Harvard Medical School, um, uh, as you <laughs> probably know, but but he but ultimately uh, that work was trailblazing uh, because it opened a window, not just that meditation makes us feel good. It does. It can. It certainly can. Uh, but there is something here that really affects us at the level. Uh, his original studies were at the level of blood pressure, but then it. It went even further. It's at the level of the brain. It's at the level, now we know it's at the level of the gene. 
so we see changes that are happening with these. Um, and and I, I, I sort of think of them as broadly speaking as mind-body practices because they include sort of moving-based practices like uh, yoga is a movement-based practice or tai chi, which also have significant amount of sort of contempt, you know, just uh, concentration, meditation, contemplation, all these things happen as part of these movement-based practices as much as the stationary or sort of the practices in which you're sitting down. Uh, um, and so they're all part of this sort of the wide range of practices. But but they're, they're changes that are not just important for our, um, uh, I mean, they have they have impacts, direct impacts now we see on health and well-being. So, so as this pandemic goes on, people are increasingly more stressed and overwhelmed. And, and you mentioned how meditation can help us manage our stress. Mm-hmm. But we hear all the time how meditation is so, so good for us in terms of physically mm-hmm. and and mentally and spiritually. And you kind of touched on some of the physical aspects in terms of our health. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about how and why meditation would be helpful for us or beneficial in those other areas? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, again, we sort of there's physical health. I think emotional well-being um, is a whole, uh, uh, when we think of how we are able to be less reactive, right? So for example, stress is around all the time. You know, if you're driving in the car, uh, although Boston traffic's gotten really much better, uh, as we say, but if, <laughs> pre-pandemic days, you're driving and someone cuts you off on, in the car, uh, it's, uh, you, you feel that surge, right? You get really angry, you, wanna, you may wanna say some things that you later regret, um, and, and all that happens, and it's so reactive. So sometimes when we have uh, people who have developed a practice, they're able to just create us just that little bit of that pause. So you don't go into that, you know, quick uh, escalation mode and you kind of just quickly react. Now, it's not to say that you can't react. Sometimes you do need to react, but this gives us a little bit of window of making a choice. Um, And that's so important, I think, for um, so that's on the emotional well-being and just thinking about just our reactivity. And then I think uh, to your point, I mean, one that is very, not talked about very much, but is very important is spiritual well-being. Certainly my own personal experience of meditation was as I thought of as important for my own spiritual well-being. I never thought of it as a sort of a a health health intervention. I thought of it as where I found meaning and purpose, where I found a sense of direction, sense of uh, connected to something greater than just myself. Um, And all those things were very important to me. uh, and it was later on, I realized, wait, 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 there's actually a health benefit here that is uh, also important as it relates to, you know, thinking about blood pressure and other things like that. So, Darshan, what's the scientific basis for this? Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be called, I mean, when in, I, I was taught uh, hypnosis. In 1979, Tom Hackett was a firm believer in hypnosis. But, and then there was, as I've mentioned, the transcendental meditation, mindful meditation, Mm -hmm. biofeedback, these are all labels, right? But what do they all have in common? Do they, what do they all have in common? What's a scientific substrate for all of these things? Well, that's a great question. And I think, uh, so I'll kind of divide by sort of response in two parts. It's sort of up until now, we have focused so much on what is similar between all these practices. Um, and again, as I mentioned, one of the similar pieces is what Dr. Benson originally uh, 
described, uh, the sort of physiology, as he would say it. But then there are also, there's some, like those, those people who are out there who are neuroscientists who study the brain, it turns out that all of, many of these share um, uh, similarities in which parts of the brain are activated. They, uh, you know, which is, you know, uh, which are lighting up, you know, where the neural circuits and, and there, some of you in the audience may have heard this term neuroplasticity, you know, the, the idea of like uh, how our neurons are interconnected. And then now we're learning, as I mentioned uh, earlier, was at the level of the genes. So our genes may be fixed. Uh, you know, we get sort of a set from our, our, you know, the maternal side and the paternal side, and we have sort of the set, fixed set of genes. But how those genes actually get turned on and off, it turns out are can be modulated or can be affected by uh, meditation. And that's this field that uh, people are talking about, epigenetics. It's sort of like, you know, uh, uh, basically on top of the gene. You know, what happens once the gene is there and, and how does it make all the others from the genes, the, the coding, how does it get uncoded? And that's where meditation and other mind-body practices have shown to have important effects. And the most um, famous of those studies, um, or one of the, is looking at the lengths of our chromosomes or the telomeres, that's the fountain of youth, and in terms of how our chromosomes uh, actually degrade over time is actually affected, it turns out, by meditation practices. And so it, can, it could be this sort of helping us stay younger or stay more fit and active uh, longer. It, um, and, and again, these are, I, I don't want to make any claims uh, that are sort of outrageous here, but I think what we are learning is that there's more to this than um, what we originally uh, thought. I think moving forward, we are now at a space uh, where we can focus on what is different uh, between some of these practices. We focus so much on what is similar uh, between all of them that it's important to note also, well, maybe some practices are better for certain individuals. It may help them in a particular way. It's sort of like how we think about blood pressure pills uh, and, and medications and, and some medications work better for one. Uh, for some reason, some people respond better with one set of medications and others may respond with, the, you know, um, and we don't know why those changes are there. Sometimes, you know, we, uh, but it could be, you know, diet, environment, environment, genetics, uh, but all of that uh, to help understand why do people respond differently to different, um, different types of modalities or therapies. So sometimes when I think when people think of meditation, they think of some of the things you described earlier. And then there's also this part of meditation that people think about the chants or maybe the mantras, the hypnotic mm -hmm. messages. And they seem to be really powerful because coaches use it to, to motivate athletes. So mm -hmm. how can saying these words mm -hmm. over and over again really mm -hmm. help kind of to center, control your mind and body? And, and how, why is it so powerful? Yeah, that's it. I don't know. The why is hard to answer. I don't know if we know why, uh, but it is what it is. I think what we know is that when we do these things, it actually, so you're absolutely right. I mean, the examples you gave are, are spot on that, you know, people uh, are practicing meditation oftentimes when they don't know it. And sometimes they do know it. Like, for example, um, you know, uh, we know um, uh, Phil Jackson, the led, you know, the coach of the Bulls and the Lakers, you, what meditation was a very important part for him as a coach, 
Uh, and then, you know, to the players that sort of bought into it, uh, they, they also describe it that it was an important part of their athletic performance. So, so that's, you know, that's an example in sort of uh, from a performance perspective. Um, I think from a, again, uh, a, a health perspective or, or from an academic perspective, we know that, you know, simply um, uh, that people suffer from test anxiety or some that, that just taking, learning how to take some deep breaths or, uh, or learning how, you know, we, I remember when I was a kid, you know, having butterflies in my stomach, the idea of having butterflies in your stomach was really the stress response was happening. And, you know, I had to run to the bathroom and then come back and, you know, and then it was like, that was the norm that like, then you realize, oh, wait, that's my stress response. Uh, and I think, so that's an example, you know, you think on academic side, we know musicians um, will often visualize sort of the, they will visualize the notes on the page. Like they see the notes happening before they're even happening. Uh, and, 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 and there's a sense of, uh, of how, uh, how they want to sort of manifest or sort of how they want to sort of express their art, uh, in that moment to the people who are listening to them is, you know, that's why there, we enjoy concerts, uh, because not every concert is the same. There's something like that just spoke. There was a, that, uh, but it was a visualization that many musicians, looks good. Does, so, does that happen for you, Jane? Yeah, <laughs> uh, actually, it does. It, it, you know, I, I, I tend to I tend to get reprimanded by my bandmates because I play with my eyes closed and I'm not <laughs> watching. And, 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 and when one of them wants to do something or take a lead or and, and my eyes are closed. So uh, because I can hear and be a part of the music better when I'm not when I minimize the stimuli. And, you know, to your point, Darshan, uh, Tom Hackett, who taught uh, me how to do self-hypnosis, he taught all of us how to do it. I was consulting to the burn unit, and he said, go up and teach those guys self-hypnosis and have them give themselves the message that the pain won't be as great during dressing changes. Well, dressing changes are excruciatingly painful. Yeah, absolutely. And so I didn't believe him, but I went up there and I taught these guys, mostly guys, um, how to do self-hypnosis through a technique that, that Tom taught me. And after a month or so, the morphine and Valium levels went down by a third. And the surgeons mm. came up to me and said, so what are you giving these guys? And I said, wait a second, I'm just a resident. I can't prescribe anything. I'm teaching them self-hypnosis and I'm telling them that the, that the pain will be as great when their dressing change happens. And they said, get out of here. You got <laughs> <laughs> you, what are you giving them? And, and so it, 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 that was in 1979. But, you know, as you point out, it can be used in all different settings. And as you also point out, in the burn unit, there's all kinds of lights and sounds and beeps and noises and stuff. And yet even in those settings, we can, we can, we can use it. So for someone who's never tried it, what would you suggest they, you know, if they're thinking about it, parents, kids, teens, um, what do they need to know? What would you suggest? I mean, I think it's an amazing time right now. Uh, you know, if we just think about technology and sort of like we have so many different options just from technology, there are amazing apps out there. Again, I don't have any ties to any of them, but, uh, but, uh, but things like, Calm or Headspace, 
which are very user friendly, um, very much, um, uh, you know, kind of get get people going. Those are examples, and there are many others out there that are both uh, free and subscription based uh, ones as well. So th those are um, th that's an you know, I think that's a, a, a wonderful tool. I think people, you know, with devices and such, even um, if you have a smartwatch of any type, uh, they actually give you a cue of how to meditate. I don't know if you've seen that little, you know, a lot of my colleagues will turn it off. <laughs> it's, it's like bothering me. But but if you actually pay attention and use the cue, it actually gives you an opportunity to kind of just even just a paced, what we call a paced breathing pattern, uh, just to kind of have a steady flow of breathing in and out. And then you can, and it's a very simple app. It just tells you, kind of gives you a pace and number of minutes you want to do it. Uh, and, and so there's, I think devices are can be very helpful tools. There's no substitute though, in my mind, for just having some guided instruction uh, from a live person. Uh, and so for example, we, um, that's what we do at the Benson Henry Institute. You know, we really have developed a program both for, you know, adults and children uh, to have really some really guided, you know, professionally guided sort of support and instruction to build a sustainable practice. And we, I mean, ultimately the goal for us is really, for, for anybody should be, this should be as natural to you as brushing your teeth. We don't think about all the health benefits of brushing our teeth anymore. That's sort of like a, you know, we do it. It's a part of just living. And over time, I think what my hope is for the future is that we actually move into it where this just becomes part of an activity of daily living. You wake up, you brush your teeth, you meditate, and you begin your day. I mean, I see that that's a possibility of the future. And, and we just think how amazing the world could be if we just, everyone paused for just like two minutes to just pause. I mean, it would just be just, that would just shift every single dynamic uh, in so many different realms across the world. So, and so for many people, meditation is an important part of their, their life and their routine. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also hear people, at least I hear people often casually saying, oh, I need to meditate or I should go meditate or, or maybe giving direction to someone else. So you need mm -hmm. to meditate. Does mm -hmm. it really work that way? Um, is one of my questions. And then the other question is in terms of the practice. Mm -hmm. Why is the practice so important? Yeah, so let me, I'll answer a second question first, which is the practice is important because it's like anything else we do. Um, it, it just, it's, it, again, it's a sustaining, nurturing our daily living. Uh, so eating healthy, if you think about it, that's a practice. Yeah, you can, you know, every now and then, you know, you, you may pick a food that is, and that's fine. You have joy in that food if it's not, uh, you know, the healthy food, quote unquote. But, um, but, but ultimately, um, on average, your practice is eating a healthy food. Your practice is moving every day. You know, if you think like, okay, exercise, yeah, if you miss it here and there, that's fine. But if you have a daily practice, that's going to be overall a good thing. Uh, and so similarly, I think this is one of those things that um, we just want it to become just part of an activity uh, of daily living. We, uh, you know, as you know, you know, we have this sort of, we're taught in medical school to, you know, figure out someone's activities of daily, like how functional they are. And, and again, in the future, I see like, this is part of like the thinking about how functional someone is when they, are they incorporating this into the daily life? But um, the, in terms of um, telling someone to meditate, uh, like there's a imbalance of like 
you know, I'm tell like uh, someone who's who's on a pedestal and say I'm telling you, or you know, because I'm better than you. So I think that's where we have to be careful uh, of that language. I think that language sometimes doesn't help, uh, and it's more often to use. And again, and if you look at most meditative practices, they invite a space of non-judgment and and curiosity. And those are the values that we're trying to sort of cultivate. So when you tell someone there's judgment, you oh, you need to do this. When you use the word you should or you need, that by definition implies judgment and that won't get anyone to meditate. Unless you ask them to, what do you think I need to do? Then you can say, oh yeah, you need to do this. But if you tell someone, most people will, will, will just shut down. Well, does it work on the spot? So if I were... Mm-hmm. having maybe a, a rough day and I just said, oh, yeah, I need yeah. to meditate. Does, does it work that way? It does, abs- it well, uh, so we, in our program, uh, we teach this concept called a mini. Uh, and so, uh, which is basically the brief, you know, it's sort of the meditations between the meditations in some ways. So, and when I say the mini, it's sort of like, uh, it's like, an, uh, I'll give the analogy exercise. We think of like, there's formal exercise. You may go for your run for 15, 20 minutes, or you might do something else, you know, where you have a formal exercise practice. And then there's sort of the, the informal practices. And that's where you, for example, maybe you take the stairs. You don't think of that as exercise, but sort of as exercise, you know, or you might park further in the parking lot and just take a few extra steps. Um, in that same way, uh, there we, we at, our, at the Benson Henry Center, we've kind of described this concept of the mini meditations where you have sort of the 15, 20 or you know, 15, 20 or 30 second meditations. And I can outspeak since I'm talking to fellow healthcare uh, providers and colleagues, um, you know, one of the uh, things that gets uh, physicians particularly riled up is the health record. Uh, you know, you open up the electronic medical record and just that thought, and you can see like a lot of physicians, they have like their visceral, their bodily response, they're kind of like, they get really tight and you know, they get really, you can see their blood starting to boil just as that swirly icon is, is kind of happening with the, uh, red, the electronic medical record coming up. Well, um, what I've done is that my med- the medical record for me has become my best friend because as that icon is coming up and you wait, uh, you know, 15, 20, 30 seconds, it's an opportunity for me to do a meditation. What else do I have to do in that 15, 20? I have nothing else to do besides that, so I might as well. And we probably do that, like, say, 50, 100 times a day. All of a sudden, those add up. 15 seconds, you multiply, do the math. All of a sudden, you've accumulated. And that's actually important. So uh, because it's not just what you do during the formal practice, but how often are you able to break the, I mean, Dr. Benson originally drives it's like breaking the train of everyday thought. And so the more you're able to break that train of everyday thought, breaking your sort of stress response multiple times in a day, that's what uh, the positive, that's sort of in the moment you can do that. So, so I think that's one of the ways that we've learned as an effective tool. Is there anything that is important to you clinically, educationally that we haven't mentioned? Yeah, I think we're in the era of the pandemic right now and we're in the era of vaccination, right? So we're, uh, you know, some of you in listening audience have gotten vaccinations or are about ready to. There are some missed stories or missed uh, opportunities, I think, that have happened in the pandemic. One is that we actually know quite well, and it has not been talked about, that those that are under chronic stress uh, are the ones that actually, turns out, also are disproportionately suffer from 
the uh, COVID-19 uh, virus. But the other thing that we haven't also talked about is like, what makes your vaccine response better? It turns out that not all vaccine response, like you think like, oh, you know, I take the vaccine and everyone has the same response. It, it's actually not true. We actually know that people's um, level of antibodies are variable. Some have more, some have less. And, and one of this, these studies that was done about 30 years ago, that is, it was a beautiful study and they did it in relation to the flu vaccine. They basically took a group of people and they gave them the vaccine. They took another group of people, taught them meditation and then gave them the vaccine. And it's sort of this controlled study. And it turns out the people who learned meditation and got the vaccine, and both groups looked similar at the beginning. So they were sort of mad, they were randomized. And um, they actually had a double van antibody response to the vaccine because uh, compared to the ones that just got the vaccine and got some health education. So I think one of the missed opportunities for us here, um, what I, and, and again, one of my, you know, I'm, uh, that's why I love talking about this stuff is that there's so many things we can do. Like we don't, we, we've, um, to help us, you know, we have a sort of this event happening before us and hopefully we're on the, we're getting closer to being on the other side of it. But when we think about the next event that might happen in the future or some other type of, you know, viral base, it turns out um, uh, when we think about vaccine and how do you improve vaccine responses, I'm hoping that not as a part of a comprehensive total solution or everything about holistically, that this is also thought of as part of that. Because it is very easily deployable, uh, doesn't really cost anything to anybody. Um, and it's a it's universally human. It's not like one person responds better than the other. It's, like, it's a universally human response. So I don't know. Uh, that's, that's one thing I hope people will hear. That's pretty amazing. I never heard that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a say it's one of these missed, missed stories. <laughs> or missed opportunities, I should say. So I'm wondering, um, is there any chance you'd be willing to lead us and our listeners in a short meditation right now? Sure, absolutely. So um, what I'd like to invite you to do is, again, feel comfortable in your chair. And as you feel comfortable doing so, just allowing your eyes to gently close Or if you'd like having a soft gaze towards a spot on the floor in front of you. Letting your hands rest in your lap or on your knees. taking one or two deep breaths just to notice where your own breath is. Noticing if there's any tension in your neck your shoulders, your back, or your hips.
and simply acknowledging that tension and seeing if that tension is necessary for you. And bringing your own awareness to a triangular region that is surrounded by the bridge of your nose, the edges of your nostrils and your upper lip. And simply noticing your own breath as it passes through that region. Perhaps it may be fast. It might be slow. It may be deep or it might be shallow. Perhaps you may notice the gentle touch of your breath as it passes over your upper lip. But whatever you notice, allowing that to be as it is. Not trying to change in any way, but simply noticing it. And if you notice your mind wandering, simply acknowledging that and gently but firmly bring your own awareness back to your own breath. And when you feel comfortable doing so, beginning to allow the sounds and your environment to return to your awareness, 
And if you've closed your eyes, allowing your eyes to gently open. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting um, what I found over the years, the methods that I've used, which is much like that in guided imagery, this combination of focus concentration and body relaxation is kind of a unique uh, state of being. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you can tell when you're in it, kind of like when you're have you noticed that as well? I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, no, you you can, except um, not to get too attached to it because there are moments you don't feel it, and then <laughs> and and that just means you got to keep just keep going on. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, thank you so much. I, I, I'm sure there'll be lots of interest in this. Uh, but in closing, let's let's talk about um, what's struck you. It's, it's kind of sounds like a non sequitur, but what struck you in the news this week? <laughs> um, Darshan? Uh, um, I, I was, uh, you know, the fact that we can, um, vaccinated individuals can, can get together. <laughs> it was something just interesting. And, and, but there's still all this debate on how they can get together, who, when, how, what, all that. But it's, 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 um, I think, it's just nice to see the that we can have these dialogues that yes, people are going to get together. So I think that social connection is going to be so important. Khadija, how about you? What struck me most was, I, I guess, hearing um, Prince Harry and Meghan's story of, of their treatment and, mm -hmm. and how significant of an impact stress and isolation can have on your mental health. Um, mm -hmm. But it was it was it it was just so sad and uh, and I think I guess the if I tried to find the silver lining is that she brought you know she's someone else bringing attention to mental mental uh, health but it's just another example of how stress and isolation can really impact your, your mental health. How about you? Yeah, the, the, I would I'm just sorry. say to that I was just going to say that what's amazing I mean is that that even the most privileged suffer just as everyone else does. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I guess what struck me um, was how polarized we still are. Um, it was so upsetting that this George Floyd legislation that seemed to be so important and obvious and needed was so divided. Um, and the fact that there, and the fact that there wasn't good conversation just struck me uh, as upsetting. Um, we have a long way to go. Anyway, um, uh, I think this has been terrific. Thank you so much for being here, Darshan. And um, uh, if any of our listeners want to add comments or experiences of their own, their own with meditation or yoga, or Tai Chi, or other forms of, of uh, relaxation response, please do uh, 
send us notes, emails, tweets, and um, we hope that our conversation will help you have yours. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Khadija Booth-Watkins. <laughs>